Welcome back to Night Falls, the bedtime show of classic and original stories designed to guide you into a calm and peaceful sleep. I'm Jeffrey Newland, and tonight we're going to walk deeper and deeper into the woods of Night Falls and turn back the clocks until we arrive in a land before time when the continents had not yet drifted apart and when what are now small hills were jagged mountains reaching high into the sky. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our valued sponsors who keep this free content possible. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Night would make itself known, blooming in blues across the sky, as early as six o'clock by mid-November. It seemed that even as the clearing grew colder and darker, the forest thrived. That night, my friends and I had gathered around the campfire once more, faces bright by the firelight. Anwin and Rhea, who seemed an inch taller every time she visited the campfire, had made their way out of the lake for the occasion. Even Rhea's father, Arthur, hadn't passed up the opportunity to warm his toes by the flames, though I suspected he didn't much care for the campfire stories he'd be subjected to. Arthur kept to himself most of the time and didn't bother himself what others thought of that. He wasn't worried about whether or not he was well-liked. He knew how to say no, and most importantly, he knew himself. I'd been guilty of oversubscribing myself in the past, 
of stretching myself thin to earn the thanks of others. Arthur seemed to have no issue protecting his peace. The more time I passed with the three of them, the clearer it became that Arthur wanted Anwen. He wanted Rhea, the quiet life in the lake, the occasional walk in the mountains, and his peace. I had come to rather respect his philosophy, even if he was a man of few words and scarcely spoke on the matter. As had begun the ritual, I spun tale after tale for my friends that night. Otto tried his best not to drift off to sleep as the heat of the campfire ebbed into his fur. His ears relaxed, his eyes began to close, and his tail came to rest on the earth at last, after a long afternoon of wagging. The stars above, the most silent of spectators, listened in as I told my friends about the time I spent trekking through China's tropical rainforest in Sichuan Bana. I don't know why the stars listened so closely that night, for I recall them being party to the tale itself, shining brightly above me as I made camp in the jungle undergrowth all those years ago. When the tail ends of my story had been neatly tied off, all but the last of our friends had sloped off home. Devani decided to accompany Lyra back to her cottage for an evening cozied up to the hearth, and I found I had the remainder of the evening all to myself. As we all do at times, I had craved a moment alone. Devani had taught me the value of taking time for oneself, and I think perhaps that evening she took herself off to Lyra's to allow me a moment. I would never have asked her for space. I would never have wanted it. But I think perhaps the mark of a true partner is in knowing your match a little better than they know themselves. The desire for a little alone time had brought me to nightfall some six seasons prior. But between the mountain peaks that rose up around the clearing, I'd been blessed with more kindness and more friendship than I'd managed to cultivate in all the years prior to my arrival at the falls. Truly, I wouldn't have it any other way. Although the fullness of my life in nightfalls was something I'd spent long nights craving, I couldn't help but wonder if perhaps I needed a moment away from it. To be reminded of what I had found, of the life that I had built for myself, and in that way take a little time to give gratitude for it. The clearing had been crisp with winter cold for weeks, and so the ground was hard when I first began to tread back down the path of time away from the present moment, away from the clearing, 
away from the quiet that settled between the mountains and towards what I wasn't sure. The last of the fallen leaves crunched beneath my feet. Thick frost held each blade of grass upright against the winter breeze, and red berries had begun to blossom at the top of the path of time. The season's brightest, boldest offering. Perhaps it was lax of me to let go of specifics, but I'd seen proof enough that the magic of nightfalls had only good intentions for myself and my friends to trust that it would grant me safe passage. I felt myself drifting down the path of time, like a sailboat on the stillest of seas. I had no destination in mind, and nowhere I knew of that was as quiet or peaceful as nightfalls. So I let the forest carve a path back to its beginning. The magic drew me farther and farther from the era I knew. The path doubling back on itself more times than I cared to count as it wound ceaselessly into the past. All the while I felt the earth beneath my feet softening, thawing. Perhaps you sense it too when the seasons change. The earth softened and so too did the soles of my feet. The tips of my toes thawed with the grass and the muscles that had grown tense in the winter cold began to lengthen and loosen as I made my way step by step back down the path of time. My calves released, my hips opened and suddenly I found myself slowing, lingering. My steps grew longer and lazier, and I loosed a breath I think perhaps I had drawn in as the last of the summer's sun set beyond the mountains in nightfalls. As I welcomed another deep breath in, I marked a fullness to the air, it almost felt as though every breath I had ever drawn before had been half empty. Perhaps the plants could sense it too, for at the foot of the path of time, at the forest's very beginning, the trees seemed more than the sum of bark and foliage. They struck me as giants, silent and still. These were the true pillars of the earth, tall enough to have held up the night sky. Their canopies were thick, and their fruit hung heavy, untouched, unplucked. My chest seemed to open up with each breath I took. I felt my stomach soften, my whole body perhaps as the path of time twisted to its end. My shoulders settled softly into alignment, my arms felt long and loose, and my mind felt clear and calm. 
As the path of time came to its end and I arrived at something of a beginning for the forest, I found myself feeling rather new too. I felt fresh, almost as fresh as the verdant hillsides I stood upon. The earth seemed ripe, every pore of it oozing life, and yet there seemed to be none discernible, feasting or thriving on its surface. It was as though I had arrived in the moments before. I felt myself anchored up in the calm before the storm of humanity. could feel the earth beating its breath beneath me and bracing itself for what was to come. I knew of the chaos and beauty that came for it. I knew of the life and love it reeled toward with every turn it made on its axis. And so I, at least, breathed deep, waited for it, welcomed it. I wandered from the pit of a deep valley to the very peak of a mountain top, as that afternoon rolled into what felt like the very first evening on earth. I took my time picking through dense tropical undergrowth and trying my best not to mar the landscape with my footsteps. There is a softness to the Scottish Highlands that I recalled fondly from my childhood. As I reached the top of the mountain that would one day be worn down into the rounded summit of Ben Nevis, I couldn't escape how much taller and sharper the Scottish Highlands had been at the dawn of time. The peaks that rolled on for miles in every direction were rough. They were jagged. Time had yet to smooth over their cracks and harden them against the elements. Mud looked ready to slide from cliffsides, and great blocks of land lost purchase and tumbled from mountaintops into deepening valleys in the distance. Gazing out over an earth untouched, unmarred, unmuddied, couldn't help but stew on my own youth. I remembered what it was like to be new myself, when a cut on the knee hurt that much more, and my eyes stung when even a grain of sand found its way into either of them. I watched the mountains trying to make their way steadily toward the waiting night sky. I gazed out at the river that ran down the mountainside, knowing it was ready to burst its banks, perhaps for the first time. My mind turned to the school uniforms I grew out of before the end of every term. That overflowing river ready to burst at its banks, had my thoughts reeling back to the bruises I had earned, bashing clumsily into door frames as my shoulders got wider each year, and my mind failed to keep up with the body that kept growing. 
The Scottish Highlands were once a part of one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world. And that evening, as I marked the difference between the sharp peaks that had once formed a part of the central Pangean mountain range and the sloping hillsides of the highlands they would one day become, I felt my thoughts about aging shift. I had long held the belief that time and experience hardened people, but that night I couldn't shake the feeling that each second, minute, hour, day, month, and year heals. It struck me that evening that time soothes. It smooths out cracks and softens people at their edges until the thoughts and fears they bore so heavily in their youth roll from the shoulders that slope a little more each year. My shoulders were no longer willing to bear the weight of the world. I had always thought I could mark the difference in people who had set down the world's woes They seemed lighter, younger, easier. I don't know why or when or what might have spurred it, but I could tell when my grandparents had finally stopped lugging the past behind them. It was around the same time they started eating pudding for dinner and slipping me e-numbers in secret whenever I visited them. When there had been only one mass of land, Pangaea, a giant island alone in the wide ocean, the central Pangaean mountain range had stood tall, its peaks often obscured by soft clouds. The mountain range was forged when two even older supercontinents, Gondwana and Laurasia, had collided to form Pangaea. Evidence of the mountain range that was caused by the converging of those ancient supercontinents could be found in the Scottish Highlands, the Little Atlas Mountains of Morocco, and the Appalachian Mountains on the eastern coast of North America, all of which contain minerals that can be dated back to the same time and place some 500 million years ago. The Himalayas, which I've always dreamed of hiking, are only 50 million years old by comparison, and have yet to weather even half the storms that would be needed to soften their edges and smooth out their slopes. From the summit, I could scarcely believe how far the mountains seemed to roll on around me though I didn't suppose there was anything soft or rolling about the sharp peaks that cut into the night sky. I felt as though I was standing at the very top of the earth. I was sure that when I squinted off into the distance, I could almost see the edges of the sprawling, ancient landmass I had learned about in my textbooks at school. Though it was thousands of miles from me, 
I had convinced myself that I could make out the azure blues of the ocean washing around the Earth's only landmass. The natural metropolis gave way to seas bluer than blue. And as my eyes lifted to the horizon out in the distance, I could see the soft, subtle curvature of the earth. That evening, I couldn't escape the feeling that the earth waited, breath baited, for whatever was to come. Even after all that had happened to it, after the searing heat of its inception, the planet still welcomed tomorrow, twisting on its axis and rolling day by day deeper into the unknown. Energy forged in the same heat as our planet still crackled in the atmosphere. Blazing lightning struck, searing itself into the night sky above the continent just long enough for me to see the lands almost shrouded by dark and distance entirely. Where the lightning forked first, the earth was arid and much too hot to sustain life. As the storm surged onward, the lightning melted the glaciers on the tallest mountaintops and struck down trees on the parts of land humid enough to sustain plant life. I came to sit watching the storm howl across Pangea. I realized that just as in my youth, when I had felt too young to join in with the bigger kids, but too old to sit with the wee ones, too excited to sit still, and too tired to finish my tea, too big for my school uniform, but too small for the roller coasters I so desperately wanted to ride. The earth had experienced its fair share of growing pains too. Pangea was too hot and much too cold all at once. I could see life beginning to flourish in the spaces between, where humidity and tropical conditions had ushered in verdant, flowerless plant life in more shades of green than I could ever have imagined, and perhaps even a few more that I myself was not able to perceive. When the storm had finally passed, a welcome quiet settled across the land. I drew deep breaths in and out. In and out. For a time my breath became the only sound on earth. The soft, subtle wash of air in and out of my mouth was the only thing to disturb the perfect peace of Pangea. I felt the peace of that moment. So utterly alone, well up within me. Sometimes, even now, when I find myself feeling flustered, just listening to the sound of my breath sends me back to that silence, to the deep calm of the earth in those moments before 
That night, I was sure I felt the planet turning beneath my feet. I could almost hear it breathing with me, calming itself. I knew that there was more to see, that that evening on the top of the mountain could not truly have marked the very beginning of time. If I wanted it to, the magic of nightfalls would have taken me even further back and shown me the earth when it still burned and had yet to make a full turn on its axis. If I asked it to, the magic could have taken me to the dark side of the planet in the hours before it had even seen the sun for the first time. Perhaps I should have pushed further into the past that night, but I found myself feeling content and rather aligned with an earth that, after all the chaos, finally had a moment to breathe, to be between phases before the next thrashing flare of life. When I was finally ready to return home, I came to my feet. It was as though I had sounded the starting whistle. I made my way down the mountainside, and step by step the incline softened, weathered by the time that rattled around me at a rate of knots. I looked up from the path that led back down the mountainside when I heard a rumble so deep it sounded as though the earth might split in two. Before my very eyes, Pangea was prized apart by the shifting of the magma beneath the surface of the earth. I watched in awe as the ocean flooded into the gaps between the severed landmasses. I thought for a moment I might have heard the roar of the dinosaurs, but when I listened closer, it had already given way to soft, sweet birdsong. The years sprinted by as I meandered down the sloping highland hillsides and watched as Morocco, the Americas, Africa and India drifted beyond the horizon. Suddenly Scotland felt so much smaller than it ever had to me before, and nightfalls began to seem rather a lot like its coziest corner. As I caught up to time, the green plant life finally started to flower, and suddenly the highlands looked a lot more like home. I recognized their soft hillsides and sloping mountain peaks. I knew the colors of the wild flowers that belonged on their sheltered verges even before their sudden sprouting from the earth. As I reached the foot of the hillside, I found myself back on the outskirts of Nightfall's clearing. I made my way back through the pine forest, feeling rather in awe of each and every flower, plant and tree that had managed to carve a path through time to the present moment. 
The plants in Night Falls, and indeed the rest of the world, were the ones that had stood the test of time, adapted through the ages, weathered every storm that had been thrown at them, and grown roots deeper into the earth than my friends or I would ever be able to manage, even when we felt our most connected to the world around us. I stretched out on the sands of the beach alone for the first time in months, and yet I felt the furthest thing from lonely. Beneath me, the earth breathed deep, sighed in relief, and as the night deepened, it sank into slumber with me. I knew that tomorrow there would be time for light, for laughter, for all the chaos and clutter that made life worth living. But that night, with quiet thickening in the clearing and the stars blazing above me, it seemed there was space only to sleep.